Welcome to C's for Creepy. My name is Elise. And my name's Courtney. Join us every week as we discuss our favorite true crime and paranormal stories. From A to Z. Welcome back to another episode of C is for Creepy. Thank you so much to everyone for the downloads and the support that we've seen. It is so amazing getting to see all of the listens every week coming to our last three episodes. I can't believe we're already on X. I know. Like the last 20 some weeks have just blown by. <laughs> they they really have. I was thinking about it a while ago and I'm like, did we for real start this like what 23 weeks ago? Mhm. It's insane. Mhm. So thank you everyone who has supported us and listened to every episode. We truly appreciate it and you guys are the ones that we are doing this for well and also for us and ourselves but you know it's really wonderful to see that people actually listen to what we have to say yeah (laughs) i'm kind of surprised (laughs) it's not just us listening to ourselves talk (laughs) it's nice to know that there's people out there on the other end Mm -hmm. all right so let's get right into it because my case is a little hefty. What is your ex? So, my ex is for X-rated. Yes. I know that there was a few ideas we had thrown out about this one. So glad you picked this one. So, I did. I really waffled on it. Like, I didn't know what angle to take it mm-hmm. from. But I think I got a good one. I'm here so, for it. Uh, I hope you enjoy this. Mm-hmm. We're going to apologize now. Both of our dogs are here, so if we hear any dog noises, I'll do sorry. My, yeah, I'll do my best in editing, but I can only do so much. Yeah. Um. So, bear with us. Yes. Enjoy the sounds of Bowen and Zeus. Okay. So, this week I am diving into the world of pornography, mm-hmm. covering X-rated. And I, I'm not like saying X-rated crimes, I'm just saying the title is just X-rated. So, with that in mind, um, if you've got any children listening, you should probably just pause this and just come back to it later when there are kids around, just because I am going to be talking about some uh, sensitive topics. Some not-so-savory items. Some uh, not-safe-for-work material. So, oh, I listen to this shit at work all the time. I just have my headphones in. Everyone not, thinks I'm a hunky-dory person, but in reality, I'm listening to murders. You know what? <laughs> True. I, I do the same thing when I'm at work. And they're like, wow, you're so happy. Like, eh. It lets me listen to my inner feelings. <laughs> Nobody would know. But yes, if you have children, please come back. Not this episode. Not this episode. So you're saying this is like one of the darkest you have covered. I wouldn't... Well, it's not... The darkest, I would say, is pretty dark. Mm -hmm. It's just we're talking about um, more adult themes. Like, we're going to be talking some uh, adult stuff. Okay. So, I'm not going to use that voice the entire episode, but... uh, Can you please? No. (laughs) Like, I would love you to do an entire episode (laughs) in your adult-rated voice. Oh, god. And also in your, like, country bumpkin voice. You're asking a lot from me. I know. Could you, like, merge them together? <laughs> I kind of want to try, but I don't even know how it would come out. Uh, let's try it. Well, howdy there, y'all. 
<laughs> oh, you're sexy cowboy. I love uh, it. Cowgirl, thank you. Cowgirl. <laughs> All right. So now that we got the fun out of the way. Because <laughs> I feel like your story is about no laughing matter. Uh, I wouldn't say that. It's You definitely know the case because I think I made you listen to it like a while back. Okay. So it's one that you have heard, but... Let's talk about my fun facts first before we get to the case. Okay, I love the fun facts. Okay. So, I've already done the warning. So let's jump right into it. Recognizing that a film would not be appropriate for children, a movie with an X rating often depicts graphic implied sexual acts or extremely violent scenes. Okay. So I'm just going to talk a little bit about like how something gets that X rating and like what that means. Like Texas Chainsaw Massacre gets an X rating? No. It gets an NC-17 rating or an unrated. I'll get to it. Okay. Okay. When films were first given viewing ratings in the United States in 1968 by the Motion Picture Association of America or MPAA, the X rating was given if submitted to the organization, but it could also be self-imposed. Many films between the years of the late 1960s to the mid-1980s featured an X rating, so these are movies such as A Clockwork Orange, Last Tango in Paris, and The Evil Dead, which I love The Evil Dead in the, that franchise. I'm all about that life. Okay. So, though, like, it was that specific time period that movies would get those X ratings. Okay. The X rating was never trademarked by the MPAA, so when pornography started to become more popular in the 1970s, porn directors would add the X rating to their films to ensure that it was known that children should not be viewing this material. Smart. In pornography, a second rating was kind of informally introduced where the more X's, the more hardcore the subject matter would be. So okay. three X's would be very hardcore pornographic scenes, and X would be some more vanilla love making kind of stuff. Okay. Okay. Due to the use of the X rating being primarily associated with porn, other filmmakers who wanted their graphic art films <laughs> distributed were having issues with their movies being taken seriously. So, newspapers wouldn't publish advertisements for mm -hmm. these films. Uh, if you could even get a movie theater to host an X-rated film, that was, like, it was getting very difficult. So, I mean, there are some films where, you know, you go in there, you want to see that graphic violence or, you know, you, you want to see those things. Like, um, mm -hmm. like American History X or... You know, kind of in there where, like, it adds to the film. I'm feeling very shameful right now because I don't watch a whole hell of a lot of movies. But I have not seen any of the movies that you have listed as X-rated. Wow. I'm, I'm feeling pretty shameful about it. That's okay. Okay. That's okay. I have watched Encanto 200 times, though. <laughs> we live very different lives. <laughs> Actually, it's probably more than 200 at this point. I've started it maybe three times since 
I've been coming here. I've never finished it, <laughs> but I've started it a few and times. all three of those were here. <laughs> yes. Hold oh, on. We live very different lives. <laughs> just kidding. I just research and sleep, so. Okay. So, in order to keep their films in app, intact so films could be re-edited to try and get that r rating which Mm -hmm. was lower than an x but still pretty high up there um many movies in this time were released as unrated with the warning that the film was not meant for children finally in the 1990s the mpaa trademarked mc17 to use in the place of the x rating and it could only be given by the organization Oh, so the X rating was kind of stolen by the porn industry. Well, it wasn't stolen. It wasn't trademarked. It was just, it overtook. So anything with an X rating was just automatically classified as porn. Well, essentially. Yeah, that was the association that people made when they saw the X. So, like I said, it wasn't, people weren't able to distribute or sell. Like, so obviously that system had to change the x rating is still alive and well in the Mm -hmm. porn industry so it wasn't until the 2000s that the mpaa also included explanations before a film for why the movie has the rating that it does so that's like the strong language Mm -hmm. um sexual scenes drug material that kind of stuff so that wasn't started until the 2000s, but I didn't know that. I didn't realize that it was, like, that recent that that started. Yeah. So I just thought that was fun. <laughs> That's interesting. Okay. Okay. Now that we have the history of the rating out of the way, let's talk about pornography. With the fancy informal rating system we now know, there are different strokes for different folks. Some... <laughs> We're full of bad jokes today, and I'm here for it. I was like, it's it's too good not to use. <laughs> I'm here for it. <laughs> okay, so some people enjoy softcore, gentle lovemaking, but on the very other hand of the spectrum, there is also a market for those who derive pleasure from watching acts of violence, degrading, or immoral in nature. Which, you know what, there's nothing wrong with your own quirks. Or kinks. Like, we're not here to kink shame by any means, as long as everybody involved is consenting and... A happy participant. Enthusiastic participant. Yes. Yes. Enthusiasm is key. (laughs) Not limp dick energy. (laughs) If it's limp dick energy, Uh -uh. it's a Uh no-go. Okay. Fuck my mother-in-law listens to (laughs) Well, that's why I said it. (laughs) Okay. Hi, Lori. (laughs) Okay. So since this is a true crime segment, I'm going to be diving into the darker side of porn. While some of the participants are compensated for their roles in these films, there is still an abundance of abuse exploitation that takes place in the industry. In fear of being blacklisted and no longer being able to work in the porn industry, many participants lie about the scenes being consensual. So that's like a porn star signing up, or not so much maybe a star, but like especially with new 
newcomers to the scene. Mm -hmm. They'll sign up to do a scene and it'll be like, you should do this. You should do this. You should get slapped. You should get spit on. You should do these things that you're not comfortable with doing because it'll make the shot. Mm -hmm. So these girls aren't, or men, I should say as well, these people aren't consenting necessarily, but they're being pushed. They're being coerced. And sometimes it goes too far where these people are actually being injured or in some cases raped or, you know, it goes on from there. Mm -hmm. This also does not include those who are tricked, coerced, or trafficked for pornographic purposes. Like in other acting, sometimes the director is looking to achieve an authentic reaction that can only happen when the victim has no idea what is going to happen to them next. That's horrible in a workplace environment. It's horrible anywhere. You should, if you're doing a scene where you've got to trust your participant, like where you have to trust that person. So. Yeah, it's really icky. But like, if you think about it, this is their workplace. That doesn't mean. No. I know. Like, there should be a form of respect. Absolutely. <clears throat> That's disgusting. Absolutely, yeah. I'm not here for it. No, not a fan. There are also extreme legality issues when underage performers are coerced to lie about their ages, in essence making child pornography that is distributed claiming that the participants are of legal age. I wasn't going to go here, but I'm going to go here. So on like this porn website, it's like hot teen girl, hot young woman, like I'm sorry. Are we just like playing into people wanting girls, children? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I find it really icky that like every second video on Pornhub is like teen girl and stepdad. And it's like, come mm -hmm. on. I'm really not a fan of like how they're trying to keep that taboo alive of the incestuous porn. Like, okay. Thank you for adding the stepdad. It's still creepy. I don't need my stepbrother. Thank you. That's still gross. Right. But okay. Not here for it either. I, I don't. I don't. Now it makes me question like, are they actual teenagers? Well, and that's sometimes they, like they're. Okay, so don't get me wrong. There's a lot of times where there is also like 30 year olds that happen to have a baby face that get pushed into the porn or the teen category. Yeah. That happens too. But you've got to really try to make sure, like, if you're following porn stars, you know how old they are or, like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that kind of stuff. Just try to be ethical with your. <laughs> With your video watching. If you can, yeah. <clears throat> so when considering these facts, it is impossible not to realize that these pornographic materials exist because there is a market for them. Often creating a fantasy world where these victims are agreeing to this abuse, it can help absolve these voyeurs of any guilt that could be associated from enjoying these acts. So because it's okay in porn, it's okay in real life? I think that's part of it, but it's the fact that, well, if they signed up for it, that means I can enjoy it. I can derive pleasure because, like, they're consenting. So there's, you can watch a graphic rape scene, and 
because in your head you're like, well, it's filmed, it's okay, other people are enjoying it, I can enjoy it. It's that mental process. Uh My fun facts aren't very fun, are they? Kind of like my like make me uncomfortable. I had a feeling you might be uncomfortable this episode. (laughs) Sorry. I think it's the fact that I'm thinking past the watching. Yeah. I'm thinking of some guy in a basement somewhere watching this being like, I'm going to make this happen in real life. So it's funny you bring that up. And this is why. <laughs> this this is why I'm uncomfortable, Elise. So let's take a gander at the link between porn addiction and violent crime, specifically looking at any possible links between violent offenders who are known to watch violent porn. While most believe that violent pornography isn't the cause of a violent criminal, it has been found that this genre of porn can encourage those who are already predisposed to committing violent acts. It is important to remember that what takes place in pornography is a fantasy, and since most reasonable people know and accept this, They are able to watch depictions of darker sexual acts without wanting to ever act them out. Mm -hmm. When looking into porn addiction, it seems that there can be a correlation with vanilla acts no longer being enough to excite a person, so they turn to more extreme porn, which can depict taboo or dangerous acts in order to feel that rush or excitement. Mm -hmm. So you get that dopamine hit and... Soon, a naked body isn't enough. Soon, you need something more in order to achieve that same dopamine rush. Mm -hmm. Many people who have these porn addictions can lose attraction to real-life partners, suffer from porn-induced erectile dysfunction, or depression. While addictions are not taken into account, if the person has violent tendencies... Um, when considering that porn can inflate hostile masculinity, so in this case that means the desire to forcibly dominate, it also allows impersonal sexuality. So in this case, it kind of these are like very binary way of thinking, but it also strips women of their humanity. So it res- reduces them to just sex objects. It's really easy to see how someone already predisposed to violence can take that leap and act out their violent fantasies themselves okay okay now on to my case fuck we're not even there yet and i'm already uncomfortable okay so i originally went looking for cases of either like participants in pornography committing crimes or like crimes that were involved with porn or like snuff films i was trying to look up something like video related but i was really having any luck nothing was really sticking out so i remembered a case that i had listened to about a year ago that i found fascinating in the worst way and realized that i could tie it into my x-rated material so this is what i'm going to go with i am going to be covering the case of sean vin Gillis, also known as the other Baton Rouge serial killer. I listen to true crime all the time, and that's why we drink. 
I used Murderpedia, Oxygen, and Wikipedia. There was also a really helpful timeline done by Radford University that I found. So Okay. Yeah, lots of research. It was really interesting getting to do a deep dive. Sweet. Gillis was born June 24, 1962 in Baton Rouge. Born to Yvonne and Norman Gillis, his father abandoned the family soon after his son's birth. And Sean Gillis was raised prim- primarily by his mother, but he also had a close relationship to his paternal grandparents. The reason why Norman chose to leave his family was because he had a substance abuse problem as well as multiple mental health disorders, which would cause him to behave violently towards his family. At, when Sean was like a year old, he actually held a gun to his son's head. So when he was a year old? Yes. His father held a gun to his head. Oh. Yes. So after that incident, um, Norman Gillis decided that it would be best for everybody that he leave. He was in and out of different mental hospitals during that time. Okay. So despite growing up without his father in his life, Gillis had a pretty decent life. Okay. His mother doted on him and held the belief that her son was well-adjusted and well-behaved. Religion and education were both important to Yvonne Gillis, so she sent her son to a Catholic elementary school. Despite not being interested in school and maintaining average grades, his mother believed that her son was brilliant. When Gillis was 10 years old, his mother and he moved to a new neighborhood in Baton Rouge, and this is where signs that this boy might not be quite as well-adjusted as his mother believed started to show. Neighbors of the boy reported that Gillis was a bit of a bully, and one even reported that he was savagely beating on garbage cans at 3 in the morning. Which, oh, that pissed me off. Which you do. <laughs> oh. I'd be that neighbor. Knock it off! <laughs> so... Even putting these behavior behavioral problems aside, he was still considered a strange boy. His mother did not view her son as abnormal, though. Instead, she continued to look at him through rose-colored glasses and believe he was brilliant and just a normal boy. Sounds like another Norman Bates situation. (laughs) Like the mother-son relationship. I see I see how you could connect those dots, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. She was incorrect on both accounts. As he got a bit older, Gillis was not popular in school, but he did have a couple close friends. Since Gillis's mother worked long hours to provide for her son, the trio would spend a lot of time at Gillis's house. His close friends and him became interested in satanic worship, so they didn't, like, partake in it themselves, but they would watch other people do... As one does. Satan worshipping, which I can kind of get behind. I also could get behind it. Uh, Smoking marijuana. Uh, They talked about Star Trek, and they talked about girls. So, like I said, these seem pretty on brand for the average teenager, they were playing D&D in the lunchroom. Yeah. They're, okay. They are living their best lives. They are getting high. Like, 
they're teens. I I get it. That's not a red flag. I think there's a lot to say about the years, like mm-hmm. the year this was, because now if somebody's like, oh yeah, a bunch of kids smoked pot and, you know, talked about Star Trek, nobody would bat an eye. Like we might chuckle a little, but like it wouldn't be weird. No, 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 no. When Gillis was 17, his father came back into his life because Sean's grandfather passed away. So, like, um, Norman's father. Okay. So, after that death, the father and son reunited, and they started to become close and develop a relationship. Okay, good. Well, that is, until Gillis <laughs> came upon his father's collection of nude men in sexual positions. Nude men? Nude men. And he discovered that his father was attracted to men. Okay. What year was this again? So he graduated in 1980s, so it had been like the late oh, 1970s. No. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but in that year that... Well, and you gotta think, he had a religious upbringing, so... Oh, no. It's... It makes sense why the dad had issues, though. Mm-hmm. It, like, hiding it... your entire self. In conflict with society around you? Yeah. It, oh, yeah. that's horrible. Mm-hmm. I can't. Mm-hmm. Men are so horrible sometimes. They are. We're just getting to it. So this revelation ended the relationship between father and son. Oh! Yeah. Like, after discovering these photographs, Shaw would have nothing to do with his father. That's sad. Mm-hmm. It is. After Gillis graduated from Redemptorist High School in 1980, he started work for Southland Corporation and worked at a number of 7-Eleven convenience stores in the area. So his main job description was as a clerk. Okay. At least he had a job. Well, Gillis bounced around between different locations and different jobs, and he found no enjoyment from his employment. Instead, Gillis's only true passion was sitting in front of his newly purchased computer and perusing different pornography. I was so hopeful for half a second. <laughs> what were you hopeful for? Gaming. Oh, no. Watching Star Trek. I don't know. Uh-uh. Not just any regular old porn, either. Hardcore. He was searching for porn depicting rape, torture, death, and dismemberment. (laughs) It's kind of weird thinking about it, because, like, this would have been in the 80s and 90s, when there's no CGI. Well, that... But can you imagine trying to wait for... Like, there's a reason he was sitting in front of his computer, is because it was loading. (laughs) had his dial up (laughs) oh my goodness you're right it wasn't instant no it wasn't 4k graphic videos yeah on your widescreen tv (laughs) just hook up the google from your tv yeah no not this time no okay so maybe this was the oh sorry i already said that okay so either way nothing else in his life got the amount of attention that this disturbing porn did 
He drew away from his family, friends, and he would actually miss entire shifts at work because he was too preoccupied watching porn. So, I don't know if you have an answer for this or not, but out of morbid curiosity, was he wanking it? Or just watching? Oh, yes. Okay, crusty socks everywhere. Uh, yeah, there okay. was just buckets of lotion at that point. Okay, so he was wanking it. He just... Because I think that makes me feel just a smidge better than if he was creepily watching it. I don't know about that. You know what? Either way, I'm not okay. <laughs> Either way, I, I get that people like different things. I can accept that. But gore is kind of where, like, personally, I draw the line. Not your thing. I'm just, I, I no. I don't understand how people can watch somebody being murdered and be like, mm, you know what? I got the tingles. <sighs> like, how? <laughs> how? <laughs> I don't uh, get it. <laughs> yeah. I, I just don't understand that association, but either way, we're talking about a case where it goes very bad. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Okay, well, in 1992, Yvonne Gillis got a new job in Atlanta and asked her son to accompany her. However, Sean Gillis refused, so Yvonne left for this new opportunity and left her son in his childhood home. I would like to point out that Gillis has just spent the last decade or so, like, that's the entirety of his 20s, and now he is in his 30s. Living in his mom's basement, wanking it. To disturbing porn. Cool, 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 cool. Yep. Here yeah. for it. Mm -hmm. So he went to community college to study computers. And I like, got a certificate in computers because in the 80s, that's what your certificate was. Okay. But, like, it's not like he really worked. He bounced between jobs because of his hellish Habit. fiend addic uh, porn addiction. Yeah. Whew. Yep. But that's okay. So his mother left him. She continued to pay the mortgage on the home that he lived in. And she would also send him extra money. Every month. For lotion. Oh. <laughs> gotta get some socks. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> so not long after his mother left, Yella started acting out in frustration. To who? His friend? Oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. It's, it's actually pretty good. Okay, so he would go outside and holler into the sky. Oh, girl, same. Just go out on my front porch and scream at the top of my lungs. Well, you know how in, like, some of my cases, it's always a surprise that this person's a serial killer and, like, they're an upstanding member of the community? Yeah. This is not that guy. His neighbors knew that he was a fucking weirdo. And... Oh, no. They were like, yeah, he's a serial killer. Not surprised. Oh, no. This guy? Hmm. Yeah, saw that coming. Okay. Because, yeah, just hollering. He just go outside and scream. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And his neighbors would just, like, look, take a peek and then just close their curtains. <laughs> he was caught peeping into a female neighbor's house. And he, when he was caught, he claimed that he was looking for his lost cat. Did he even own a cat? I don't think so, and I'm wondering if maybe that was a euphemism. <sighs> okay. One night, Gillis was arrested after banging on garbage cans loudly, and when asked by police why he would do such a thing, 
the soon-to-be killer responded, quote, because I don't have a girl. Not with that attitude. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, Jeff would get a swift kick in the teeth if he was <laughs> kicking garbage cans at 3 o'clock in the morning. And peeping into other girls. I don't know. I wonder you know, if he was peeping into my own window. I'd be like, the fuck are you doing? How'd you get up so high? <laughs> get a job. Go do something. So after a couple of years of living on his own in his mother's house, Gillis met a woman and formed an attachment with her. Oh, no. Okay, I don't know if I'm going to be able to pronounce her last name, but I'm going to try my best. Terry Lamone was introduced to Sean Vincent Gillis by a mutual friend who said that the pair had a lot in common, including a shared love of sci-fi and Star Trek. Oh, I just really hoped that you were going to say porn and winking it. <laughs> no. So they collected rock albums and they bonded over each other's shared interests, which, like, if you're going to start a relationship, you should have stuff in common. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Early on during their relationship, though, the couple had a quarrel, and Terry actually slapped Gillis. The now 31-year-old man did not respond back with violence, but instead started to cry. Oh. Terry felt terrible afterwards and promised to never act in violence ever again. And the couple became closer and they stayed together. Okay. Which, don't hit your partner. It doesn't matter if you're a man, woman, they, them. It doesn't matter. Just don't hit anybody. Keep your hands to yourself. Unless it's consensual. <laughs> okay. So now that Gillis has a girlfriend, it seems like his troubles would be over, right? No. I mean, he started to receive the female attention that he craved since his mother left him. But he's an addict. Well, interestingly enough, the same year that he got a girlfriend was also the same year that he killed his first victim in 1994. Okay, I gotta know. Plot spoiler. Does she survive? She does survive. Nice. Yeah. Am I going to regret that comment? You're not going to regret it. It's just, we'll get to it. I just, I just have issues. Obviously. Obviously, we have a murder podcast. I mean, <laughs> yes. You're not wrong. <laughs> All right. On March 21st, he assaulted 81-year-old Anne Bryan while she was at home and this home was located in a retirement community. I really feel like we need to film some of these. Like the really bad ones. Because sometimes I have no words. And I feel like my face describes my feelings better than words wouldn't. I love your faces. They make it so worth telling you these stories. <laughs> so the building was across the street from the convenience store Gillis was working at. And it was also mere blocks away from his home. 81? So the really interesting thing about this guy is he does not have a type. So serial killers usually have, uh, like, within a very specific demographics, a specific set of parameters. He defied age. He defi uh, defied ethnicity. So he killed both Caucasians and African-American females, and their age did not matter. Wow. So as long as they had a vagina, yeah, they were Fair game. a target. Oh. Uh -huh. 
Ew. Mm-hmm. Well, later he starts to develop like a bit of an MO, so he eventually starts to target sex workers, and like his justification was for that was because they'd be easier targets, unfortunately. That and less people would go looking for them. Yeah. So, but like that was his only MO that started to form. Anyways, back to Anne. She had left her door unlocked while waiting for her nurse to stop in. And unfortunately, Gillis saw his opportunity and took it. So allegedly, his intention was just to rape the 81-year-old woman. Just. Yeah. Just. Ah, mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. But when he started to touch her... Anne started screaming for help, and that's when things escalated. He violently murdered her by slashing her neck and repeatedly stabbing her. So, like, this attack nearly decapitated the woman, nearly disemboweled her. Like, it was estimated that she had been stabbed upwards of 50 times, with the majority of the stabs being to the breasts and genitalia. Genitals. fucking gone. So, as with many serial killers, Gillis entered a cooling phase, and he did not strike again for almost five years. Oh, that's surprising. So, usually, if there is a cooling period for a serial killer, the first one, usually there is a longer time in between the first to the next one. Mm -hmm. Usually, like, that first one, there's such a rush that they actually did it that that's enough to keep them sustained on those memories okay yeah so during that five-year time period carrie moved into gillis's house which his mother was still paying for you're really holding on to that one i love it i have issues gillis was a frequent drinker which terry was not a fan of the couple did not frequently engage in romantic congress allegedly only having sex a couple of times during their relationship okay and this upset terry which understandable Mm -hmm. i don't blame her did he rape his first murder that I am not entirely clear upon. I'm okay. sure that there was sexual gratification. I do not know if there was actually a rape okay. done, completed. Okay. When she learned of Gillis's porn addiction, she chose to let the issue go and continue on with their relationship. So it, here it's unclear if Terry knew the exact type of pornography that Gillis was getting off to. But it has been documented that in 1995, Gillis showed Terry a website which featured pictures of dead women. Ooh. Once again, even though she found the website disgusting, Terry let it go, since Gillis claimed he found it funny. Which to me is so much worse. So much worse. You find this funny? These are dead women and you find it funny. How did you just stumble across this website? Like, I'm sorry. What? Yeah. So, like, I mean, I've come across, like, during my research, I've come across crime scene photos. Okay, but you were actively looking, unfortunately, 
for it and stumbled across it. Yes. <clears throat> but to think that, like, there's pictures of dead women out there and to be like, isn't this funny, honey? Look at this. Look at how humorous this dead woman is. Well, is so fucked up. And the fact that a woman with him could be like, well, it's his thing. He finds that kind of stuff funny. I think we're forgetting in 1995. He would have had to put some effort in. Mm-hmm. Because, like, don't get me wrong. I could go on Reddit right now and find many crime scene photos of yeah. dead people. Yeah. It would take me a whole 12 seconds. Well, I mean. Actually, you know what? I suck at Reddit. It would take <laughs> Jeff a whole 12 seconds. I could probably find it real quick. But but I would never like be like, haha, look what I found, yeah. and actually expect someone else to find that funny. Mm-hmm. Like I send people memes and they're like, huh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> no, I I don't I don't get where his head was thinking, sharing that. So. We'll we'll kind of get to it. I don't want to give it away, but I've just got issues with their relationship. Like, he's a giant walking red flag. Yes, he is. So, as I previously mentioned, Gillis did strike again. He killed his second victim January 4th, 1999. What is interesting about Gillis is that he did not have a particular type of woman... He just wanted easy targets. Mm-hmm. Since Terry worked the night shift at the convenience store, it gave Gillis all evening to go hunting for potential victims. His second victim was named Catherine Hall, who was a 29-year-old sex worker. Gillis lured the woman into his car after propositioning her for payment for oral sex. Once in the car, however... Gillis attempted to murder her by strangling her, and this is awful. He used an industrial zip tie. So this is my new fear. So what he would do is he would have the zip tie prepared. So it was like just like a loop, and it's big and long, so it's big enough to fit over a head. And then you just rip the cord, and then there's no getting it off. And, like, he was so proud that he thought of this way to kill women. He's like, this is so easy. Unless they have a knife or scissors, there's no getting out of that. I hate you. So, enjoy that new fear. (sighs) Like. I know. Oh, I know. I know. I kind of need a moment to collect myself. That just seems like the worst way to be strangled to be strangled yeah i would agree with you because there's no fucking hope no no there is none no Mm. there's no like short drop and a sudden stop there's nothing there's no fighting back like you can't pull it loose it's oh my god he's a fucking crazy person you're just picking that up? Well, no. <laughs> but, like, that's a special kind. I know. Of horrible. We'll get, like, we've got so much more to talk about. So, I hope you've collected yourself enough. Catherine 
did survive this attempt the first time. She, like, attempted to flee because I don't think it was, like, quite tight enough to completely block her airflow. So she, like, attempted to flee. However, Gillis did capture her and stop her 16 times. So close. So close. Once dead, Gillis undressed Catherine's body and mutilated it. Afterwards, he went to a second location where he dumped the body under a sign which read, Dead End. This was thought to be intentional, almost as if Gillis was playing a game. Catherine's body was found by hunters the next day. After a thorough search of her body, police found a game-changing piece of evidence. So I found this disgusting, so brace yourself. Okay. Police found a pubic hair in Catherine's mouth, and it had the bulb attached, like the the hair follicle bulb. Like it got stuck in her tooth or something. That's what I imagined. Mm. And all I could think was like pubic hair, which is awful, <clears throat> but it's like oh, that's just gross. Mm-hmm. Poor woman. Yeah. This was a game-changing piece of evidence, though, because the follicle was attached. That meant that there was DNA. Yep. And in the 90s, DNA was like, we're in full swing. We're testing that stuff. We're saving it. There was no matches in the database. But Mm -hmm. still DNA. So they saved it, kept it for later. Mm -hmm. Okay. Super valuable. There was a much shorter cooling-off period between Gillis's second and third kill. I'm sorry, how did he mutilate her? So it's mostly different stabbings and slashings of the body. Okay, it's not like he cut her up into bits and... We'll get to it. Fucking God, Elise. (laughs) Oh. We'll get to it. Okay. Shorter cooling off period between the second and third kills. His third target was chosen after Gillis saw Hardy Mosley Schmidt running. Hardy was another change in his MO as she was a 52-year-old woman married with three kids and she lived in a nicer neighborhood. Oh, okay. After seeing this woman run, he was like, I'm gonna kill you. That was it. That was... He stalked her. This is the only for sure time that he stalked a woman in order to kill her. So he watched her for about three weeks. Holy shit. When he decided to strike on May 30th, Yellis hit her with his car while she was running. Once she was knocked down, he did his zip tie maneuver. Yep. And strangled her to death. Moving quickly, he put her body in his car and drove her to an isolated area where he once again undressed her, but this time he raped her corpse. Okay, so is he just a very fit man, or are these very petite women? These are very petite women, and that was done intentionally because he's a nerdy guy. Like, we'll have pictures, but like... He is not... He's nothing special. No, he's not a super athletic man. He's choosing smaller women. Well, I think his first victim was 81 years old. Like, he, yeah, but that could have been just 
strictly easy. Like an easy target. Yes, but like, I mean, even though she was athletic, like Hardy over here, she was athletic. She had a same pattern, right? She mm-hmm. was able to know where she was going to be yeah. from following her. Mm-hmm. So, like, even though she was athletic, he he took her down with his car. I was more actually thinking, like, how did he quickly move the body? I mean, that's dead weight. Like, you have to either be really strong or they have to be very petite women. Or your adrenaline's going. Yeah. You get that rush and you can do feats that you wouldn't think possible. <sighs> okay. Okay. But yes, they were primarily petite women. Okay. I'm just thinking, like, if he took down a 170-pound bodybuilder, there is no hope in hell of him dragging them. That will not be quickly. (laughs) No. So that's why I was like, either he's jacked. No. But. Now. Oh, he's jacking. But he's not jacked. (laughs) I'm sorry. I got to try and make it light where I can. We're on number three today. (laughs) Continue, my friend. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So this is also super duper gross, but Gillis actually kept Hardy's body in his trunk and drove around with it for a few days. Until at least winter? Well, Terry noticed the smell and was like, hmm, that's strange. That's kind of rank. And Gillis said, oh, well, I hit a squirrel. And that's how he... Passed that smell off. And also the blood on his. Oh, yeah, because that would come from a squirrel. Yep. Uh Uh The actual fuck. Uh Uh So after it was noticed that there was the smell of a dead body in his vehicle, uh, Gillis drove out of Baton Rouge and dumped her body in in a rural parish. So going back to targeting sex workers, Gillis killed Joyce Williams December 12th, 1999. What is different about this murder is he actually brought Joyce back to his house once she had died. Once in his home, Gillis proceeded to mutilate her body, cutting off body parts. This is also the first time that Gillis engaged in cannibalism, after which he cut off Joyce's nipples and ate them. I'm not going to say it. What, what What were you thinking? That would have the texture of beef jerky. Okay. Yours is better than what I first thought because of, like, the color and the shape. I was like, just like bubblegum. Mm. <laughs> I know, but mm. I know. That was just... I don't, know why my, I don't know why my mind went there. That's okay. I wish I could explain that. Okay. Um, after he finished his activities with Joyce's body, he put her back in his in the back seat of his car. Back seat of his car. He put her back or her bag? He put her body in the back seat of his car. And he went to go pick up his girlfriend from work. So I'm assuming he was smart enough to cover her up. Since Terry didn't suspect anything. But 
that's where my the, this kind of stuff that he's doing. So first he shows Terry the pictures of the dead body. Then he drives around with a dead body in the trunk, and now he's driving around with a dead body in the back seat. I don't know if like maybe he enjoys thinking that he's getting away with it and like has has Terry there to like that's just so oblivious that doesn't realize what's going on but in his brain he's like look at me I'm so smart I'm so like she doesn't even suspect me and there's a body in the back seat like I'm wondering if it's that kind of power move what woman gets into a vehicle and doesn't check the back seat well, I, well, that's why I'm thinking. I'm hoping that like she, her body was covered. Yeah, but but like on like maybe on the floor, maybe. Like that's my. I would notice a body covered it in the back seat of a car. I would hope so. I would hope so. Like that is the first thing I do, no matter whose car I get in, is I check the back seat. It's like this weird safety intuition. Where it's like, there's nobody back here. Okay, cool. Uh-huh. I... I... Okay. I can't. So later that night, Gillis dumped her body in Iberville Parish. Her remains were discovered in January of 2000 when hunters stumbled upon part of her leg bone. The rest of her body was found about 700 feet away from where the leg was discovered. When he killed his fifth victim, Lillian Robinson, she was a 52-year-old sex worker. He also brought her back to his place, but he didn't have time to mutilate the body because Terry was going to be off work soon. Okay. Instead, he went back to the basics and played with her body allegedly putting his penis in her mouth. This was January of 2000. He dumped her body later that night at the at Kafalea Basin, which is like pretty much just a swamp. Mm -hmm. Her remains were not found until March of 2000 by fishermen. October of 2000, he tried something different with his sixth victim. After killing 38-year-old Marlon Nevels, he brought her home once again, and he allegedly showered with her body. He has no respect. It's so weird how he is experimenting so much with the bodies. Yeah. Like... Usually, the, most killers have a very clear MO, yeah. have very clear ideas of what they want to do, and this guy is so all over the place. It's like he doesn't know himself, or maybe he's been exposed to too much different mm -hmm. mutilation, and he doesn't know exactly what to do, but he was also obsessed with serial killers. So, he might, allegedly... Um... Maybe he's just trying to throw off his scent? I don't think so. No. I think that he's doing these things for him. Okay. Like, there's definitely that sexual... Gratification? Thank you, that's the word. That he's getting from these acts. Okay. But, like, he's just so unsure of what to do, and he keeps escalating, much like with porn addictions. Keeps mm -hmm. escalating the different things to do. Okay. 
he left her body in plain sight on top of a levee beside the Mississippi River where it was found by a man walking in the woods. And that's another thing, too, is he does, like, when we're talking about body disposal, usually, like, if a killer feels any sort of remorse, there's covering, like, you know, there's signs. He doesn't do that. He puts them on display because he's proud. Mm -hmm. He he does not see them as humans. They are sex objects for his gratification. That's, That's very scary. Gillis entered a cooling phase again after killing Marilyn and would not strike again until 2003. So although he wasn't murdering anyone, sex workers were still being killed frequently. That is because... During this time, there was another serial killer operating oh my God. named Derek Todd Lee, and he also targeted sex workers. It is reported that Gillis admired Lee's work and kept newspaper clippings of his murders. So I don't know if this came from a place of admiration or of competition. Mm-hmm. When Lee was apprehended on May 27, 2003, the police department thought that they would be able to close all of these cases against all of these different sex workers, except the DNA found did not match Lee. Oh. So unbeknownst to the police, there was actually like four different serial killers operating in Baton Rouge within like a decade. Holy shit. So they found two they're, well, they're, they found one, and they're on the trail of a second one. Yeah. In October of 2003, the now 41-year-old serial killer targeted his last, sorry, his seventh victim named Johnny Mae Williams. Johnny Mae was 45 years old, and she was a mother of three, and she, un, like, she turned to sex work to help provide for her family. Mm-hmm. So unlike previous victims... Johnny May actually knew Gillis. They were acquainted, and Johnny May actually like cleaned Gillis's house. Like she she was paid to clean his house on a few occasions. Oh, so there was a connection there, which is another break because like this guy has made a very big deal of not getting caught by targeting people, people. that he doesn't know. Mm-hmm. Well. Gillis picked the woman up in his car like previous victims, and he drove her to a secondary location where he beat, raped, and strangled Johnny May with the zip tie. Holy shit. This time, Gillis cut off both of the now-deceased woman's hands, which he kept. And it was really gross. He was... I heard that he um, painted the fingernails and, like kept them no uh he also posed her new body in various positions and took multiple pictures of it oh when he finished what he was doing he left her body out in the open on an embankment his eighth and final victim was named donna bennett johnson she was a mother of five and she was 43 years old but she also had a substance abuse issue and was a sex worker. Gillis had been driving around hunting for a victim on the night of February 26, 2004, when he found Donna. After getting her in his car, they discussed payment, but he wasn't going to pay her. He had no intention of having sex with her while she was alive. Yeah. 
So he killed her with the zip tie, and I guess she was like so. She she was on a substance, so it took her like a minute and a half to die, and like her last words were, "I can't breathe." Oh. So after murdering her, he took the time to mutilate the woman. He once again cut off her nipples and ate them. He also gouged out a butterfly tattoo that she had on her thigh and kept that. Gillis also cut off and kept her left arm. So he cut it at the elbow. Reportedly, he used that portion of the arm he kept in order to masturbate with. He is... So many different categories. Mm-hmm. Like, we've got trophy killer, we've got... Necrophilia. Necrophilia. Cannibalism. Yeah. Like, he's all over the place. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. No, he is the worst. Okay. He's the worst. Well, now he's taking pictures, so he's also, like, online... I'm assuming. I don't know if he's posting them online for sure. I've never, like, from what I've found, I wasn't able to confirm that. Okay. Is it possible? Maybe. Yeah. I mean, you don't know for sure, but he was, he, police did find, he took pictures of pretty much all of his victims, Mm. except for, like, maybe the first couple, but he did keep a lot of pictures. (sighs) Ah, okay. Okay. So he also posed her body in various positions and took pictures. Um, He also this time left the body posed for the person to discover. Ew. And she was discovered in a drainage canal. Police found DNA evidence under her fingernails of her right arm. So the one that was attached. So at least she like kind of fought back. Mm -hmm. She was able to get something. Okay, so once it was determined that there was multiple cold cases that could not be linked back to Derek Todd Lee, Baton Rouge Police Department started to fear that there was another serial killer on the loose. Thus, a task force was formed on March 3, 2004 to investigate the murders of Donna, Johnny May, and Catherine, as well as look into the many other deaths that could not be matched to Lee. Mm-hmm. When Donna's body was discovered, another crucial piece of evidence was found. Near her body, tire tracks were discovered. Hmm. So now these weren't just any tire tracks. They were Goodyear tires, but they were not a very popular tire. So they only sold for like a couple of years, which is incredible. Because, like, if it was a super mass-produced tire, like, there would have been no shot of trying to track it down. hmm But because they were only sold for a couple of years, police asked Goodyear for a list of who bought those specific tires in Baton Rouge. And there was only 90 people on the list. Wow. Okay. Sean Vincent Gillis was number 26 on the list. Hmm. Police were questioning the people, and when they brought Gillis in, red flags started popping up. Are you sure? He seems like a really wholesome guy. Okay. So I actually watched the interviews, because they were all filmed. Hmm. It was bizarre. It was, okay. It was so uncomfortable watching. Ew. 
he's a nerdy middle-aged white guy like he looks like i don't know kind of like a dad you know like he's got the glasses he's got a mustache and he even watching him like everything that i read was like oh yeah he's so sure of himself he was convinced that the police had no idea it was him he was so confident and so sure of himself wow but the fucking guy would not shut up (laughs) he dug his own grave he sure did so he didn't think that he would let anything slip he thought that he was being like he thought that he was playing their game and he was winning oh so like for example they're like okay well your tire tracks match ones found at the crime scene and he's like well i might have been there but i was there a week ago because i had to take a leak okay your house is like a five minute car ride why would you turn down this road to go pee when you could go home to do that you gotta go and you gotta go well and he also said that it was a week before but it had rained heavily during that week time period and there's no way in hell that the tracks that they found were not fresh yeah so you're a fucking liar you dumbass so Gillis also voluntarily told police that Johnny May and him had a connection. She was also very dumb. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the investigators changed and the lead investigator for the like the task force was brought in and he started questioning Gillis and that was really interesting because Gillis started talking about, like, his fascination with serial killers and how he's seen autopsy photos and crime scene photos. And he's just telling this to the police. Cool. Cool, 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 cool. And the detective's like, bro, what the fuck are you doing? Mm -hmm. Like, you are so suspicious right now. They already had a DNA swab from him. And at this point, they're like, you've got to be the guy that's stall." Let's keep you talking. Yep. Until the, like, their hope was that they could get that match before mm-hmm. they had to release him. Because he's not under arrest right now. He's just being questioned. So yep. they cannot detain him. Mm-hmm. So he talked for a while, but eventually he got bored of talking. And mm-hmm. police had to let him go. But... I will say it was very weird watching how animated Gillis would appear and like how he would sound when he was talking about these different serial killers. Cool. Like he's like, "Oh, like the Dahmer case, like that one's so fascinating. You gotta think." Like he was so into it. Like he was like he was referring to like instead of saying like Dahmer, he's like, "Oh yeah, Jeffrey, he did that." Oh yeah, like really intimately fond of these guys Ooh, yes so it, it like honestly if you want to be disturbed i would recommend that because it was very weird to watch so he would not confess to the crimes he asked to be let go and they let him go eventually mm-hmm. the analysis was complete at 10 p.m of april 28 2004 and the results were a match. Mm-hmm. 
So a SWAT team was called in to take Yellis into custody. And at one in the morning the following day, SWAT broke down his door to take him in. <laughs> like it was like uh like one of those battering rounds where they just like dunk. Yep. Like they burst open. Which yes. Love that. So the couple had like just gone to bed and SWAT was kicking their door down and nice. handcuffing Gillis and leading him away. And Terry's like the what fuck? What's going on? And Gillis was like, I'm sorry to Terry. Oh. And Terry's like, what the fuck is going on? And even one of the officers was like, you didn't know you're living with a serial killer. Jesus. Terry could not believe that Gillis was going to prison, like was being arrested for this. She was like, you got the wrong guy. There's no way that it could be him. Mm-hmm. He's a sweet boy. Like... Back in the interrogation room, Gillis was encouraged to confess. Mm-hmm. He started telling the police about the monster that he is. And, like, he referred to himself as a monster. Hmm. Okay. He then went into detail about how he murdered these women and how proud he was of the method he developed to kill. He used sound effects and motions to illustrate how he did this. So he bragged about the murders, and he started confessing to additional murders as well. And he would not shut up. And he gave so many details um, that were pretty excruciating for the person, people that had to listen to him. And, like, you got to think you can't display how disgusted you are with some of the stuff that he's saying mm-hmm. you gotta just like sit there and let him talk to try and get as much detail out so you can prosecute him yeah so they had to sit there and just listen to everything that he was saying hmm. so for example when asked about Catherine hall his response was quote i wanted to see what her butt looked like sliced open honestly end quote so there was that documentary done, which shows a lot of his interviews and just watching his him talk with such enthusiasm and like such passion and like animation. Ew. It's really fucked up. <clears throat> and like, if you do want to watch it, I just typed in Sean Vincent Gillis uh, documentary and it was like the first one that popped up. Okay. I'm not telling you what to do if you want to. It's out there. Okay. So after looking into all of the murders he had confessed to, police had to accumulate evidence in order to determine which murders could be prosecuted. Unfortunately, despite his confession to all of these murders, the majority of it was actually inadmissible. Because he had asked for a lawyer and then just continued to keep talking. Because a lawyer wasn't provided to him at that time, that was considered inadmissible in court. That's not their fault. But they, what they're supposed to do at that time is stop any interviews and get a lawyer in. Oh. Once you ask for a lawyer, the police can no longer ask you questions mm-hmm. without their lawyer present. So because of that... All of those were inadmissible. However, 
He was indicted for the murders of Catherine Hall, Johnny Mae Williams, and Donna Bennett Johnson. He finally stood trial July 21st, 2008, and was found guilty after three days of trial. Okay. So prosecution had tried to get the death penalty for him, but because the jury was in a gridlock, he was sentenced to life in prison. And since then, he has, like, done other confessions to his other murderers, so he does have multiple life sentences on. He is not getting out of jail. Okay. Gillis is still alive and is currently incarcerated in Louisiana State Penitentiary, serving multiple life sentences. So that is my X for X-rated. Jesus. Fucking gross. Do you have any idea? <laughs> no inclinations? Uh, no. <laughs> no, I, I didn't have any inclination that you were going to do that. <laughs> that. It was good. Like, but holy fucking balls. Mm-hmm. Like, and honestly, it, there's, like, there's more that I could talk about with him. But, like, I've already talked for over an hour, so. (laughs) That's fair. Yes. (laughs) All right, so after that, X, what is yours? Um, mine is X is for Texas. (laughs) (laughs) She reach. That is the biggest stretch I think we've done. There's an X in Texas. There is. Okay. Okay. So today we'll be covering Texas's Goat Man Bridge. Okay. Before the bridge became a magnet for ghost hunters, it was simply known as Old Alton Bridge. It is a historic iron truss bridge connecting the Texas cities of Denton and Copper Canyon. Built in 1884 by the King Bridge Company of Cleveland, Ohio, the 145-foot-long bridge would serve area travelers for more than a century. Mm-hmm. Called the Old Alton Bridge, sometimes the Argyle Bridge, and is better known amongst the locals as Goatman's Bridge. Okay. It was first built to carry horses, but would later carry vehicles over the Hickory Creek at a location that once was a popular crossing for cattle. Okay. The bridge takes its name from the abandoned community of Alton. The heavily traveled old Alton Bridge remained in constant use up until 2001. Wow. Yeah, so that's over 120 years. I am very proud. Like, and it was able to carry cars all that time, too? Mm Mm-hmm. Damn, that is a bridge. Right? So, until 2001, when vehicle traffic was moved to an adjacent concrete and steel bridge... Prior to the new bridge, it was necessary for motorists to signal with a car horn before crossing the single lane span. Yes. (laughs) The new bridge straightened out a sharp curve on both sides of the creek and provided additional travel lanes. Okay. So, with vehicle traffic removed, the bridge became an important link connecting the Elm Fork and Pilot Knoll hiking and equestrian trails. Today, it is a popular location for nature enthusiasts and photographers. The old Alton Bridge was included in the National Register of Historic Places in on July 8, 1988. Cool. So, not only is the old Alton Bridge a picturesque historic site, but it is also said to be haunted by a half-goat demon with glowing red eyes, a loud snarl, 
hence the nickname of the bridge. Okay, I was wondering, because there's no town named Goatman, so... No. No. We're going to get a little dark. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, I don't know what that's (laughs) like. (laughs) Half a century after the bridge was built, an African-American man named Oscar Washburn settled with his family near the bridge. Earning his living raising goats, he was soon called the Goatman. Okay. By the locals. An honest businessman... His goat-raising business was a success. Good for him! But unfortunately, given the time, some did not welcome a successful black man within their town. Fuck. When Washburn posted a sign on the bridge that advertised this way to the goat man, it angered the local clansmen. Oh, for fuck's sake. white supremacists, the Ku Klux Klan. Oh, no. Like, why, why do you have to go wreck people's happiness? He just let him... Have his goat business. I'm sorry, are all of you in goats? What fucking assholes. Just leave it alone. And look what they've done, okay? It doesn't get any better, and this is all on them. I am blaming these people. Okay, so I'm here for it. On a dark night in August 1938, these hate-fueled men crossed the bridge without their headlights, then burst into Washburn's home, dragged him from his family home to the bridge. The clansmen then fitted a noose over his head and pushed him over the side of the bridge. Oh, no. However, when they looked over to make sure he was dead, they could only see the rope. Washburn was gone and never seen again. What? The clansmen then went back to his home and killed the rest of his family. Oh, my God. Like, what pieces of garbage? That is awful. Ever since that fateful day, several strange things have reportedly occurred on and around the bridge. Many believe that the Goldman haunts the overpass and the nearby woods. The tale continues that when travelers cross the bridge at night with their headlights off, they would meet the Goldman on the other side. These tales are obviously old, as the bridge has been closed since 2001. Mm-hmm. I'm like, why on earth would you cross a bridge without your headlights on? Especially a single lane bridge that you have to honk on. Right? Like that that's more than playing chicken. Right. Fuck. Like maybe they seen the goat man, but maybe it was other headlights coming at them. Mm. <clears throat> but alas, some believe that Washburn's spirit returned to the scene of his murder to seek revenge on his killers and has been haunting the bridge ever since. Fair. I you know, I gotta say, that seems like a reasonable haunting to me. Mm-hmm. So, one version of Washburn's legend believes that it is actually his wife that haunts the structure. Oh. Woman scorn. Yeah. The local legend says that if you knock on the steel bridge three times at midnight, or perhaps turn your car lights off and honk three times, and then put the keys on your dash, if you dare, a visitation from the vengeful goat man. That's preceded by the stench of decaying flesh... Numerous reports tell of unholy glowing eyes that burn red from the darkness. Eerie glimpses of a large snarling goat-headed man-beast stomping in the wooden shadows. Or a frightening apparition of a manacle satire carrying the heads of goats or humans oh. in its hands. Or oh, damn. I don't know. I don't, like, I wouldn't want to see any of those. But I would especially not like to see something holding something else's head. I agree. If if I had the option. 
It, I just, I don't know if I would tempt that fate, honestly. No, 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 100%. Why, I, like I said before, like, just driving without your headlights on is risky to begin with, but the chance of also seeing that? No, thank you. Right? I'm good. Witnesses have reported sightings of a goat-like beast with glowing eyes. Others have claimed to hear the sounds of hooves galloping on the bridge behind them and a growling voice ordering them to get off the bridge. (laughs) Oh no. There have been accounts of people being attacked by the half-goat demon. At least one person who visited the bridge with a friend claimed they heard the growling voice. After the witness ran away, their friend who had remained on the Goatman's Bridge appeared to be dragged to the edge and thrown into the river by an unknown entity. Oh my god. There have been several reports of abandoned cars that have been found near the bridge with their occupants missing and never being found. Oh, that is creepy. People just straight up fucking disappearing. Oh, I don't like that. I don't like that either. That's wild. Yeah, so reports have seen a ghostly man herding goats over the bridge, while others say they have seen an apparition staring at them, holding a goat head under each arm. No, not a fan. You know what? I would be okay seeing a man herding goats. That would be okay, but still not a fan. Yeah. I just I just want to drive. I just want to get from point A to point B. Right. That's all. So, tales of strange noises have also been described, including the sound of horses who speeding on the bridge, splashing in the creek below, manacle laughter. Maniacal? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I like manacle, but maniacal <laughs> I was wondering with, I'm like, does, like, manacle, like, chains? <laughs> man I cow. An inhumane like growling coming from the surrounding woods. Ooh, nope. Visitors sometimes tell of seeing a mysterious light in the area, car doors locking and unlocking on their own, and numerous vehicle breakdowns in the area. See, that sounds like <clears throat> aliens. Or is it a demon? Mm, yeah. According to legend, if you visit on Halloween... And honk your car horn twice, visitors can see the Goatman's glowing eyes. And the Goatman is evidently not alone. Other reports tell the woman's spirit who wanders the area, allegedly searching for her lost baby. Oh no. So, I did see some reports that maybe it's Lala Roman. Oh, you gotta cover her at some point. Oh, I know. I know I do. So excited for that one. Mm-hmm. So, there have also been reports that Satanists have performed dark sacrificial sacrificial rituals on the bridge and opened a portal to another dimension. Mm. There have been reports of inhuman screams coming from the woods. And mat- manacle laughter? Maniacal? <laughs> maniacal. Fuck whatever call. Which believers of the supernatural argue is the true cause of the goat man's appearance. According to one local police officer, nearby pet stores have stopped selling cats because there were so many cats found slaughtered in a ritualistic manner around the area. What the actual fuck? What the fuck is that? No. 
You leave those kitties alone, right? What the fuck? Like, we're just chilling over here with the goat man and you're trying to open fucking portals with cats? Oh. How about we think the fuck not? How about no? Oh my goodness, that is the worst thing you've ever read to me. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Stop selling cats, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> the terrifying encounters and reported vanishings have been so frequent as to warrant numerous investigations by paranormal groups. Goatman's Bridge has been the subject of investigations on popular supernatural shows like BuzzFeed Unsolved and Ghost Adventures. Some attribute the work of Satanists who open a portal for the Hellspawn demon, while others say the Goatman's wife is eternally searching for her murdered children, while others say this is the fault of the Ku Klux Klan and they should have just minded their own business. I mean, obviously. They should have, regardless... Even if he, even if Goatman wasn't, like, the spirit, they should have just left this nice guy alone. Just let him hurt his goats. Right. Fuck. So I got all this information from TexasHillCounty.com, AllThatIsInteresting.com, Atlas Obscura, WeDentonDoIt.com, and Wikipedia. Okay, well, thank you very much for your story, yeah, it was quite a little one compared to yours. I'm glad because then it's less for me to edit later. <laughs> so I, I, at least I, you know, I do it to myself. This is true. This oh. is very true. But that is the story of the Goatman's Bridge and why they don't sell cats in that area of Texas. 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 <laughs> it's not a stretch if there's an X. <laughs> It's like one of those, uh, like the acrostic poems. You're like, X. T E X. <laughs> yes. Fuck. Okay. Um, that wraps us up for X. You'll have to join us next week as we are going to be on our second last episode. Yeah. So excited. Yes. Um, thanks for listening. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to See Is For Creepy. We put out weekly episodes every Tuesday going through the creepy alphabet. Check out our website at acast.com slash C is for creepy. Or on Facebook at C is for creepy podcast. Or on Instagram at C for creepy podcast. If you have any questions, concerns, or suggestions, please email us at C for creepy at gmail.com. Artwork done by Alexis Daly. Check out her work at L-E-X-X-A underscore artwork on Instagram. See you next week. Bye.